All right, good morning. As you can see, we have a, a substitute preacher one more time. So uh, hopefully Andrew will be back next week. And we're going to continue in the book of John. And today we're going to be looking at John 14, 1 to 14. Uh, so you can turn there. There's Bibles in the pew. So I just want to remember and remind us uh, what's been happening here. Uh, this is really important as we go through these uh, chapters here, especially chapter 14, that we remember that this is part of the upper room discourse. So starting John 13, verse 1, all the way to the end of 16. And then uh, we have the high priestly prayer by Jesus. So we want to remember that this is a, a long teaching section, and it's going to help us understand this passage when we know it's part of a longer uh, discourse. So what's happened so far? Uh, we've had the triumphal entry. We know that Jesus came in and uh, there were large crowds, very excited, and Jesus suddenly gets on a donkey and rides peacefully into the city. Uh, just totally threw everybody off of what was going to happen. This was not a warrior king coming to free them. So uh, that was very confusing for them. Uh, Jesus makes it clear that he is going to be lifted up, die, and uh, there was a lot of confusion. In John 12, 34, the people said, well, we thought the Messiah was going to live forever, and he was, but way Jesus was explaining it, they were very confused. Why is he going to die? The disciples know that the Jewish leaders are closing in on them. Uh, Jesus, uh, again, is, is uh, sharing the Passover meal with them. He washes their feet. Uh, very different. He's acting like a servant. He tells them that the, uh, the kingdom is going to be won by the love we have for each other, not by might and power. Very upside down. So then Jesus announces the shocking news that one of them will betray him. And uh, they were all shocked. And Matthew had said, they all asked, is it me, Lord? And uh, Jesus said, it's the one I give the bread, and he gives it to Judas. And even then it said uh, in John 13 that they didn't know what was going on. And so for all they know, the, uh, as Judas left, they still think the betrayer could be among them. And then Peter is told that he will deny Jesus three times before the night is over, despite this strong protest from Peter. So one can only imagine how unsettling and scary this all was to the, to, to the disciples. So starting here in chapter 14, Jesus is going to address their fears and some of these questions uh, as they're going to move forward. So with that in mind, let's read chapter 14, 1 to 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. 
Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So I want to walk through this uh, section as we always do, and I want to walk through it in three parts um, as I was studying it. Uh, verses 1 to 6 talks about the assurance of Jesus. Verses 7 to 11, the confidence we have in Jesus. And verses 12 to 14, the resources of Jesus. So I want to look at the assurance of Jesus first, verses 1 to 6. Um, Jesus urges them not to be troubled, even though all that's going on. He said, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let your confidence be shaken in me, despite what they're hearing. You know, that their Savior is going to die and leave. They were to continue putting their confidence in God and equally in Jesus, as if this was all part of the plan, which it was. Jesus assures them that he is going, but he will return. Things are not out of control, and he's going to prepare a place. So all the prophecies that the disciples knew were all going to be fulfilled. Everything is moving uh, the way Jesus uh, is, has said it would be moving. So Jesus uh, seems to be using this wedding language, and it's, uh, it would have been a tremendous encouragement for the disciples so a Jewish wedding started with the betrothal, which was a serious engagement. The man uh, who wanted to, or found a woman who he wanted to be his wife, would go to her father, and they would establish a marriage covenant. So they would establish a uh, bride price, and they would work, work out this uh, marriage covenant so that he could marry the daughter. And so once the price was agreed on, and uh, paid, then the, uh, the marriage covenant became official. It was established. So at that point, the man and woman would have been seen as husband and wife, even though they lived apart for a time. So the woman was no longer available to anyone else. And as a symbol of this, they would uh, drink a cup of wine together. They would have a betrothal uh, benediction spoken over them. And after this, the groom went home. And uh, the, the bride began preparing to leave and, be, and become a wife. So the groom went home to prepare a place for her and him to live. So when the work was done, the groom with the procession would head to his wife's home and get her and take her to their new home. The wife who knew this day was coming but didn't know which day was waiting for that shout when her uh, husband and the procession was coming to get her. 
Jesus already drank the cup of wine with his disciples. The bride price was established, his own death and resurrection. And he is returning to the Father. And when the time is right, he will come back and get his bride, which are all those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus. So what words of comfort to the disciples? Yes, he is leaving, but he is coming back. And as Jesus is leaving, we also uh, sometimes forget that Jesus didn't wipe his hands and say, well, that's my part, I'm done. He is still actively working on our behalf. Is he actually physically building a house? I don't think so. Part of the preparing is that he's going to the cross and he's going to establish the way to, uh, to eternal life and the way to be with him and his father. We also read in Romans 8.34 that Jesus is interceding for us. He's pleading to the Father for us, his followers. And in Hebrews 1.3 it says that Jesus is upholding the universe by the word of his power. So Jesus is still actively involved even though he has left and he's sitting beside his Father. Jesus reminds the disciples in verse 4 that they know the way to where he was going, or at least they should have known. But Thomas, speaking, speaking for all of them, says, well, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? They seem to be thinking of a physical location, but Jesus is talking about a way, namely himself. And so Jesus replies in verse 6 with another I am statement. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In uh, chapter 6, Jesus is talking about the bread of life. And so the people asked him, well, give us this bread. And Jesus said, I am the bread. At the tomb of Lazarus, uh, Martha declares that, yeah, Lazarus would rise at the resurrection day. And Jesus said, no, I am the resurrection and the life. And as they were asking about how to connect with God, how to get forgiveness of sins, eternal life. Jesus says in John 10, I am the door to all of that. All that Jesus offers doesn't come through a system or secret way or even the temple or the law anymore. It comes through a person, the good shepherd Jesus. And despite hearing all these things from Jesus, the disciples show their misunderstanding by saying, we don't know the way. I guess just a thought on verse 6, which is very troubling for uh, religious and secular people, this exclusive, there's only one way that Jesus is claiming, that's through him, and uh, many have struggled through that. You know, what about other religions, etc., and those things? First uh, Timothy 2, 1-6, Paul says, First of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, Intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we might lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Paul says there's only one qualified to bridge the gap between us and a holy God. 
There are not many ways uh, that lead to the same place. All other ways to reach God or the divine or something up above uh, lead to destruction. They lead to a dead end. Basically, it's down to two choices. We either are going to find our own way, truth, and light somehow, or we will accept uh, the provided way and find the truth, the way, the life, and the person of Jesus Christ. So it's down to those two choices. And as far as living a life on earth and, and doing it successfully, according to worldly standards, that's possible to live a good and productive life. But as far as finding forgiveness, re being reconciled to God, being uh, reunited with him, uh, there, we cannot find that on our own or earn it on our own. Chapter 3 in Genesis, we see where Adam and Eve chose to disobey God. And after that, they went their own way, and a, the result was a separation from God. We became spiritually dead, even as we're physically alive. Our connection to God was broken, and we on our own can never repair that, so we on our own are permanently and eternally separated from God unless something is done to fix that problem. Before the fall of Adam and Eve, their moral and spiritual compass was always pointing in the right direction towards God and his ways. But after they sinned, their uh, moral and spiritual compass was no longer reliable. <clears throat> it would be like uh, flying in a plane and heading over the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, as you're well on your way, you would receive a message from the tower saying, we just discovered there's a problem with your plane. You can no longer trust any of the instruments. You can't rely on them. And so that would be fairly alarming. And then the tower says, but we have you on our radar, on our system. If you follow us, uh, our direction, we will get you to the other side. And that's basically what's happening. On our own, we cannot navigate spiritually how to get back to God. And so we need help, and that person is Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We need to and can trust uh, him to help us. So moving to uh, the second section, confidence, uh, Jesus makes an incredible statement by saying, if you know Jesus, you will know the Father and will have seen him. And again, Philip, speaking for all of them, show their misunderstanding. They asked Jesus to show them the Father, and that would be enough. You know, despite Jesus just saying, I have shown you the Father, uh, it's almost as if Philip was saying, well, that's not quite enough. We want to see the real God, a real vision of him. They knew Jesus was from God, but they just failed to understand this oneness, this equal, uh, equal equality with God. So they asked him to show, show them the Father. And this is why Jesus now addresses Philip, who is asking the questions, Philip, you've been with me from the beginning. You've heard my teaching. You've seen my works and miracles. How can you say, um, show me the Father? How can you not recognize me? No one could say and claim the things I've said and done the things I've done except God himself. So what the Father does, the Son does. 
What the Father says, the Son says, they are completely one. And I know sometimes we struggle with that, um, trying to wrap our human minds around that. So Jesus said, how can you show us the Father? And this teaching wasn't fully grasped until after Jesus rose again and uh, they received the Holy Spirit. Then they understood uh, what this was all about. And this theme of the Father and the Son being equal and one is found all over John. Uh, you can find it in chapter 1, 3, 8, and 10, and chapter 12. And I'll just read a couple verses in John 5, verse 22 to 23. Jesus said, For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And this was so hard for the Jews to grasp. Now, I, I was thinking about this. I think we've drifted. Uh, there's a trend among us, uh, maybe even in Western, uh, Western society here, uh, as far as Christianity, that we tend to want to see God as a very judgmental, wrathful God. So we push him to the back and we lift up Jesus, the kind, forgiving, compassionate Savior. But you see what's happening here? We're honoring the Son, but we're not honoring the Father. And Jesus said, this doesn't work. So we want to honor both the Son and the Father. So that's encouraging. Sometimes we think God the Father is this judgmental God, but he does exactly what Jesus does, and Jesus does what the Father does. So we can be encouraged by that. So I would encourage you to just do a heart check there. Have you gone into that um, kind of trend that's around us? As far as Jesus, Paul writing in First Corinthians, uh, Corinthians, Colossians 1, 15 and 19, uh, he, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And Colossians 2, 9 and 10, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. And one more in Hebrews 1, verse 3, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Back in John 4, uh, Jesus said that God the Father is invisible. He's spirit. And Jesus is the visible God. Jesus gives two reasons that they can know he is one and equal with the Father, and it was his word or teaching and his works. After the Sermon on the Mount, uh, we studied that a couple years ago, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. He said, unlike any other teacher or leaders that we've heard, Jesus is sleeping in the boat, and the disciples are with him. There's a storm. Uh, It's getting pretty crazy. Jesus is just sleeping there. The disciples ask him to wake up and save them. He looks at the wind and waves and said, calm down. And it's completely calm. And the disciples look at each other going like, who is this that's sitting in the boat? John 7.31 tells us many believe because they saw the signs that Jesus did and no one else has done them. And just a few weeks ago, uh, John 9, the blind man who was given sight declared that no one has ever given sight to a man born blind. 
and on and on it went. Jesus clearly set himself apart through his teaching and his works so that the disciples could have full confidence in Jesus, their Savior. And moving to resources, uh, verses 12 to 14, I'm sure a lot of you are going, ooh, what's this going to be here? So yes, I, uh, I saw that, oh boy. But let's look at that. Um, as, we, as we were reminded in the beginning, this is part of a bigger teaching, and this is where we get into trouble when we just take a few verses and, and make it mean something that maybe wasn't intended. So Jesus starts off by saying, truly, truly, which means this is very important and it will happen. They have heard Jesus is leaving and they're wondering how they're going to continue the, the work that Jesus started while he's gone. No, how, how are they going to keep it going? And here Jesus is actually answering this dilemma. And again, this is where we can get into trouble when we see the first verse that we're going to do the works and greater works. The danger is that if we have enough faith, like it says, we should be able to heal, raise the dead, do all these things, feed 5,000. And whatever we ask, as long as we add Jesus' name to it, it should happen. And if it doesn't happen, uh, with like some many faith healers will say, well, you don't have enough faith then. That's the problem. Your faith is too small or, or weak, or we get into trouble when we ask in Jesus' name and a healing doesn't happen, or, or a financial difficulty isn't resolved. And uh, some have become angry with God because of that, and some have even left the faith because I prayed in Jesus' name, and my whatever still died, or I still got cancer. So now we have to kind of ask, what did Jesus mean? And I also want to be careful that I don't want to try to defend God and sugarcoat this and try to put it in a way that's just easier to understand. That's not what's happening here either. So, uh, yes, we spent a lot of time praying and looking into this. John clearly summarized what the works of Jesus meant. So I just want to read uh, John 20, 30 to 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So the signs were meant to show that Jesus clearly was sent by God, and not necessarily so we could just do what he's doing, but to show that he was uh, sent from God, the Messiah. And the emphasis was on the spiritual life Jesus came to bring. And this lines up with John chapter 1, where verses 1 to 11, uh, John clearly explains who this Jesus is, the Word. The Word was with God from the beginning. The Word was God. He was the light. He was the light. And what was all this for? It was verse 12 to 13. It says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So that's the main emphasis, that we would be reconciled to God and become his children, joined to his family. 
and signs and wonders and all things, all kinds of things were done to give authentication to Jesus' message and to point us to this Savior. And those who put their trust, and it says, whoever believes, so this is not just the disciples, it's whoever believes um, and put their trust and confidence in Jesus will continue doing greater works um, and proclaiming the message of Jesus. And verse 12 says it is all possible because Jesus is going to the Father. So the thing that was disturbing the disciples that he was going to leave is really the thing that's going to blow things wide open, if you want to say it that way. Jesus is about to die to secure salvation for all who believe. He will rise again to defeat death and sin once and for all, and eternal life will be available. He will go to take his seat beside his Father, having all authority and power at his command. This will open the way for the Holy Spirit to be sent to fill all believers with the presence and power of Jesus. And unlike Jesus, who was limited in his human form to be in one place at a time, the Holy Spirit is not limited and will bring the very presence of Jesus to the whole world. And this is what Jesus will continue to explain in verses 14 to 16. Uh, if you've ever seen the movie Despicable Me, there's a character named Vector, and uh, he said that's a mathematical term, meaning both scope or direction and magnitude. Uh, it's uh, actually a great definition. Jesus, after he died and rose again through the Holy Spirit, his purposes, his works will continue moving forward with uh, force, and they will move with magnitude. That means they'll be unlimited. They'll move throughout the world. So the first gospel sermon, Peter preaches the gospel message. He invites people to repent, to put their faith and trust in Jesus and, be, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And 3,000 people were saved. At the beginning of Acts, um, Luke writes that uh, his first book was to, to tell what Jesus began to do. So Acts is what he continued to do. And Acts is the summer, summary of how these greater works by Jesus played out. Uh, Hebrews 2, verse 3 and 4 says about the gospel message, It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So verses 13 and 14 are Jesus' instructions on how they will be able to access the resources and the power to do these greater works. Now that Jesus is going to the Father's side and they can ask and expect to receive these things to accomplish what lines up with the plan of Jesus and what will bring glory to God the Father. So just adding in Jesus' name to our prayers doesn't activate or obligate God to do something or anything. And it's not wrong to do that. As we do that, we are hopefully praying that this, we want this to line up with you, Jesus, in Jesus' name. But sometimes we might think that just activates something when that's not quite what it means. 
but it's the belief and confidence that what we are requesting is in line with the works of Jesus and that it will bring glory to the Father. And we'll kind of look at this a little bit more uh, as we look at some application. So the first part, assurance, uh, we too have the assurance of the presence of Jesus through the Holy Spirit and eternal light. And with all that's going around, uh, around in the world uh, today, the words, don't let your hearts be troubled, apply to us. Don't let the trouble of the world shake your faith. Uh, if the trouble of the world, you're going to take your eyes off of Jesus, you will become unsettled. You will lose your confidence in Jesus. It's kind of like Peter when he was walking on the water. When he saw Jesus, he could walk. But then he saw the wind and the waves, and as soon as he saw that, he began to sink. And that's kind of what's happening here, that as we keep our eyes on Jesus, we don't have to be troubled or shaken by what's going on in the world. We know we're being led and kept by Jesus through our journey on earth, and we're also being led to his eternal home. John 17 uh, verse 1 to 3, Jesus said, This is eternal life, that you know the Father and the Son, whom he sent. That's eternal life. And we can have confidence because Jesus is one with the Father. He gives us full access to the Father. We no longer have a physical temple and limited access to the Father. Uh, this is where Hebrews 10, 19 says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God. It's through the blood of Jesus, into his, God's very presence, through the blood of Jesus. A new and living way has been opened up. And the resources, because we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we have all the resources to live a godly life and advance the kingdom. And 2 Peter 1, 3 to 4, it says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. As we do the works of Jesus to proclaim the good news, he wants to empower us to accomplish this. So I guess especially looking at verses 12 to 14, I just wanted to spend some extra time on that. Uh, what does hinder us from seeing these greater works that Jesus wants to do? Or what, what is exactly going on here? And I know sometimes, and I've been guilty of this, it's unbelief. We don't really believe that these things can still happen, that Jesus wants to move with power and authority around us. And so there's unbelief. And I think another reason it's been so abused by faith healers, etc. So I, I know sometimes it'd be just easier to slam the door on any kind of miracles or anything like that. But that's wrong as well. And that's where Paul says in Thessalonians, don't quench the spirit. If he's moving... Let's, let's pay attention. And I think we often think like our culture has trained us is that when we pray in Jesus' name, it should be like a microwave. It should be instantly. And this is also wrong. 
I know an example from my past, from my teen years, I and my mom prayed for my dad's salvation when I was, you know, very young. And I know this lines up with what Jesus uh, came to do, and I know this would bring glory to the Father, but it took 40 plus years to get there when it came to pass. And so that can throw a wrench into, okay, how does this work? This is part of how it works. Jesus knows how to advance his kingdom, so the key for us is to be joined to Jesus and ready to be used by him. And as we go through this this discourse, we're going to read in John 15 that the key is going to be to abide in Jesus, just like a branch is connected to the vine. That's the secret. Staying close and connected in a relationship with Jesus will allow him to work through us and in us to do what he needs to do to uh, bring his gospel message of salvation and however he wants to do that. I mean, it's kind of like a spouse or a good friend. The more you get to know them, the more you know what they're about, what their likes are, what's really important to them. And this is what Jesus is saying. The more you get to know me, the more you're going to be able to be used by him uh, to do these greater works. And, and really what Jesus is doing there, he's telling the disciples that my work is not done. What you've seen me do the last three years will continue to, to, go, to go forward. And so because you have access to the Father and you have access to me uh, through my name, you will be doing these things. So John 15 says, as you abide in Jesus, as you stay in this close relationship with him, you will bear much fruit. He says that will happen. You will bear fruit if you stay close and connected to Jesus. Now, I just wanted to clarify a bit. There's this religious producing and there's spirit-led producing. Religious producing would say, well, okay, I'll go to church more. I'll read the Bible more. I'll somehow do more things so that I can get into this position where I can do greater works. And that's religious producing that doesn't work. And often it wants to do more things, but it wants to avoid suffering or the hard things. And it's motivated by fear and guilt. It's trying to earn God's favor. And I think I've been guilty of this too. At times you think, well, I've been pretty good for at least a month. Like I should be able to have some credit. And that is false and wrong. Spirit-led uh, producing is this coming to Jesus uh, and letting him do his work in and through us. And this can sound so almost paralyzing because we, well, we're not doing anything. Um, Jesus will call us to do things, but it's as he leads, as he speaks. And for some of you, this might be foreign. Like, I don't know what he's talking about. And this is where Jesus, and this is where the disciples were saying, like, we don't know where you're going. We don't know what, what you're saying. They're also uh, wrestling with this. How does this work? In uh, John 21, verse 19, uh, Jesus is reinstating Peter. He asks him three times, do you love me, Peter? And, and that must have hurt because he denied him three times and Jesus asked him three times and Peter says, you know. You know that I love you, Lord. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. 
And then Jesus says something very interesting, which most of us will find very hard. He said, at, at a certain time, Peter, you're going to be led where you don't want to be led, and you're going to have your arms stretched out by someone else, meaning you will die just like I did. And then it says, this was to show how Peter would glorify God with his death. And so this is part of the works of Jesus as well. If he calls us to persecution, to die for him, or to do a miracle or do healing, all these things are what he wants to do to advance his kingdom. And so that's where this intimate relationship with Jesus uh, begins to take hold when we're actually willing to do, okay, Jesus, what do you want to do in me and through me to advance your kingdom? And it might be persecution. It might be things that we generally don't want. And that's part of these greater works as we're filled with his uh, Holy Spirit and at his command, he can do the works that he wants to do. So it's not us doing the works of Jesus, it is Jesus continuing his works through us. And maybe finally, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he asked his father, is there any other way that this could be done? It, can the cup be passed from me? And he said, but not my will, yours be done. So we even have the freedom and the privilege to ask for healing, to ask for healing for another person, for Jesus to do a miracle. We can believe that he wants to do that, but we can also believe at times he may wait and he is on it. And at times he may call us uh, to suffer for him, uh, to lay down our life. And all these things are part of what Jesus wants to do to, uh, to advance his kingdom as we're on our journey to meet him someday. So let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this uh, passage. Um, just thank you for how Jesus just uh, went through the disciples' questions and concerns and answered how this was going to look uh, in, in the days to come and, and for, for uh, ongoing time. And thank you, Lord, that you uh, did not hide the fact that at times uh, there will be tough times. There will be times where we're going to lay down uh, our own wants and desires to uh, advance your kingdom. And we want to thank you that today uh, you are alive and you want to advance your kingdom. There are people being saved today all over the world. And here in Fort St. John in Canada, you're not done here yet as well. And so I pray as you have challenged me too, uh, is part of the problem that we're not ready to lay down this life the way you're calling us to uh, in these uh, chapters here. Help us to do a, a hard search and see what's going on there. And uh, thank you that you are walking with us through your Holy Spirit and you are leading us uh, through this life and onward to eternity to spend uh, eternity with you and your Father. So thank you for that, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.